morning. My name is Ryan. Um, I'm a pastor at New City Presbyterian Church, one of the pastors there. It's great to be here with you, and this is my what fourth, fifth time here, so it's great to see some familiar faces. And when I came in this morning around 9.30, I came early, and everyone knew my name, so it's great to come to guest preach at a church where people actually know you and remember you. And um, my wife and uh, our son, they're traveling to Colorado in Denver for a wedding, so um, unfortunately they couldn't be here today, but they send their greetings, and I know a lot of you have asked about our little baby, so if you want, come up to me after the service, I'll show you some cute pictures and videos. <laughs> um, I was scheduled to be here on April for, to preach in April, but um, we had some family emergency back then, so I couldn't be here. So it's good to be back again with you all, and for those who have not met or haven't got a chance to meet, my name is Ryan. I um, was born in China, and I lived in the U.S. since I was 12. I actually went to middle school and high school in Fairfield, just west of here. And, um, and I lived in the East Coast for about 11 years and came back to Cincinnati two years ago. So this morning, I'll be reading from Psalm 19. So if you have your Bible or take the Bible from your pews and turn to Psalm 19 with me, I'll be reading the whole psalm, Psalm 19. And while you're turning there, let me pray for us. Speak to us, Lord, in your power and mercy, shine your light in, in us to give us understanding, and eyes to see and ears to hear your word and good news. Teach us to worship as we, we've been created to, to do. We lift our prayers to you in your son's name. Amen. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes a circuit to the other, and nothing is hidden from his heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statue of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins, may they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This word of the Lord. Well, a few years ago, I saw a report from NASA's website about how the Stars and the moons and the planets are emitting these electric magnetic waves, and then NASA was able to convert them into sounds. 
And then some of you are scientists, you understand these much better than I do, and um, you can actually listen to the sound on NASA's website. And that was so fascinating to me because, you know, the space to me just looked like one dark, empty void. But there's actually a symphony of music that the stars and the moons and the planets are creating. One of my pastor friends saw the same report and he posted on Facebook and it added the comment, the heavens declare the glory of God. In such appropriate description of the beautiful scientific discovery and it comes from Psalm 19. I was text from this morning. If you see that the psalm we have today is not just praises God as the powerful creator, it also praises him as the holy law giver. And finally, David proclaims him as a rock and redeemer. So we can look at these three things together today. So first, God is the powerful creator. And from the very beginning of the psalm, David tells us creation reflects the glory of God. As Christians, we believe that God is the answer to the question, why is there something instead of nothing? He is the creator of all things. When we look at the stars at night, the brilliance of the sun, or the beauty of nature, creation testifies to the power of God as the creator and sustainer. You know, David compares the joy of the sun as it travels across the sky to the bridegroom leaving his wedding chamber radiating brilliance and joy all over the earth. We know how gloomy it is in the winter when there's less sunlight. Not only that because it's cold, but also there's less light. It's dark. It's depressing. Nothing gives us more joy as like a morning like this when you woke up, the sun is here, announcing the beginning of a new day. But even the brilliance of the sun is just a shadow of God's glory. The opening paragraph of this Bible tells us that God is the creator of lights. He all comes from him. He is the source of all lights. And the sun and the moon and the stars also reflect God's power to sustain and regulate time and seasons. You know, some cultures, like my people from China, build a whole calendar based on the moon and the agriculture and everything based on the waxing and weaning of the moon. And we see in verse 2, the changing of days and seasons reflect the praising of God as nonstop. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. By their praise, it's not just endless. In time, it's also without geographic boundaries. Creation testifies to the power of our Creator throughout all the world. Verse 4 says, Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the earth. The beauty of the heavens and the brilliance of the sun is a universal language that all people, tribes, and tongues can understand. Now Paul writes in Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible quality, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are with, without excuse that to both the Jews and the Gentiles, God's power has been on clear display from the beginning of time through creation. His power and glory are plain before our eyes. And the question is, do we have eyes to see it? In 1961, Soviet astronaut 
Yuri Gagarin became the first human to fly in outer space, which immediately made him an international sensation. And when he came back, Nikita Khrushchev, which was the leader of the Soviet Union back then, and he famously said, Gagarin flew into space, but he didn't see any god up there. Now, it depends on whether he has eyes to see them. You could argue that he actually saw plenty of signs of God up in space. But it's not just atheists and non-religious people who deny the existence of God. Religious people do the same thing too. And when Jesus was riding on a donkey going into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and people were lining up along the roads cheering and praising God, who were the most angry and indignant about it? Not the Gentiles, not the atheists, but the Pharisees. They were angry that the people were praising Jesus, and they want Jesus to stop this whole thing. What does Jesus say? He says in Luke. He says in Luke 19. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And that is the most tragic and shameful things of all. We the humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. Out of everything that was created, only us reflect the glory and the image of God. If anything, we should be the one leading the symphony of praise. But not only that, we refuse to praise Him. We have turned away from Him. One theologian wrote, all creation, praise God. Even the smallest creatures do it. They do it along with us or without us. They do it also against us to shame us and instruct us. They do it because they cannot help doing it. And when man accepts again his destiny in Jesus Christ, he is only like a latecomer slipping shamefully into creation's choir of heaven and earth, which has never ceased its praise but merely suffered and sighed, as it still does, that in conceivable, conceivable folly and ingratitude, its living center, man, refuses to cooperate in the jubilation which surrounds him. Listen to that. Even a shrub praises God better than we do because it's doing what it's created to do. But we are still dragging our feet to join in. Does that cut into your heart? So if you're not sure whether God exists or if you deny that there's even a God, then the next time you see something beautiful and completely takes your breath away and fills you with awe, I hope you will consider whether it points to something deeper beyond this beauty or if you're willing to accept that everything is just a natural coincidence. Now, G.K. Chesterton once said, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful but has no one to thank. Perhaps next time your heart is filled with gratitude for the beauty of nature, it is the beginning of your encounter with a God who created it all. Creation testifies to the power of God. That's my first point. But then the psalm takes a really strange turn. David begins to praise God's law. 
know, some of you may be maybe teachers. How often do your students come up to you and say, "Would you just please just give more rules to follow?" Do you ever, your kids ever come up and tell you, "Dad, Mom, I just love your rules." That never happens, right? But that's exactly what David's doing here. What's going on? This gets to the center of who God is. God is a powerful Creator, but more importantly, He is the Holy Lawgiver. The Bible uses many adjectives to describe God, and when the Bible wants to emphasize something, it repeats a word or phrase over and over again. But only one of God's attributes only repeated is repeated three times. Do you know what it is? Holy, holy, holy. From Isaiah six, holy, holy, holy. I know it's tempting to want a God who does not make any absolute moral claims. Many would say that God's law is too rigid; it's outdated; it's intolerant. We want a God that's more accepting and loving, right? We want a God that's not holy, who makes no moral claims on us. And it's but a God who does not make any moral claims, who is not absolutely holy, is not the God worthy to be worshipped at all. Now, Jonathan Edwards, our great Puritan father, divided God's attributes into two categories. There's God's natural greatness, which includes God's power, His knowledge, His omnipresence, His majesty, His eternity. And then there's also God's moral perfection. Which makes him righteous, just, and faithful. And this moral perception, moral moral perfection, Jonathan Edwards defined it as holiness. And Edwards essentially argues that natural attributes like power and knowledge, without holiness, is actually not good at all. You know, think of all kinds of examples like that, because power, wealth, and even beauty can be used. For evil, many of you know the legendary songwriter Kanye West. Right, he's strong, he's rich, talented, and some may even say he's handsome. But he's always getting into trouble because of a lack of strong moral convictions. Or more extreme example, Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. They were disciplined and mighty. And Hitler was a Stirring speaker, incredibly eloquent, and yet they use all their power and resources for some of the most tragic evil in human history. We need moral fibers to sustain goodness, like Uncle Ben says in the first Spider-Man movie. Great power comes with great responsibility, right? Great power must be guided toward a just and righteous end. And、that's why in this psalm, David praises God not just for His power, but declares adoration for God's laws. If you look through the psalms, there are just as many, if not more, appeals to God's justice and holiness as adoration for God's creation.、And、the longest of the psalms, Psalm 119, is a long praise of God's law, because the law of God reflects God's holiness. And what makes God worthy of worship is not simply because He's strong and mighty, 
but that he uses his power for perfect justice, for good. Whatever God does is right. And you may be wrong by someone, and you're wondering whether God has abandoned you, and you're not alone. Join the prayers and the psalms to appeal to God's justice and holiness. He would not let evil go unpunished. But he has also has his reason to withhold his judgment until the right moment. If you're someone vested with power, whether it's economic or relational power at home or at work in a society, then think carefully how you're deploying the power that God has given you. Are you using it for righteousness and justice? And you're feeling a righteous anger over the injustice that you see, then keep fighting because your fight for righteousness and justice will never be a losing fight. And all this should also make us consider why do we love God? Do we simply like having a God on our side? Do we like a God for his power, for the benefits and mighty things that he does for our lives? Do we like the national parks? That's why we love him. No, these are good things. We, we should be also thankful for God for who he is, for his holiness. You know, unless we learn to love God for his holiness and righteousness, we don't love God at all because we just love God to get to something else. He's just a little tool in our hands to get to some other idols. If we were created to lead the symphony of praise, then God in all his holiness cannot be anything less than the center of our, crea- center of our love. To repent and grow as a disciple of Jesus must include reorienting the center of our affection around him. So what does it look like to love God for his holiness? David teaches us here. It means rejoicing in God's laws and testimonies. David says the law of God is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the law are righteous, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. God's revelation transforms our souls and our emotions our intellect, and even our physical bodies. Delight in God through reading his words. They are more to be desired than pure gold. God's testimony is more valuable than any earthly treasures. It's sweeter than honey. It's better than any earthly pleasures that you ever have. God is the powerful creator. He is the holy lawgiver. But as we approach something powerful and holy, we run into a problem. We begin to see our deficiencies. And that takes me to the last point. You know, I played violin growing up, and while I was in high school, in Fairfield, I played for several seasons in the Cincinnati Symphony Youth Orchestra. And I was good enough to get in, but not quite enough to really play in it. So every Sunday afternoon in rehearsal, I would play as softly as I could so that no one could notice my mistakes. 
I would try to pretend to follow along without actually playing the notes, and usually I could get by. And every year in the spring, we would have a joint concert with the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra with the big shots. And it's usually a good day because we get to take a day off school. We go down to play in the music hall, and there was a free lunch after the concert. It was a really great day, except that it was one of some of my most nerve-wracking experiences. Because we've been sitting side by side with musicians who've been playing the violin longer than I've been alive, they've been playing for living longer than I've been alive. So I knew that instantly, as soon as I started playing, they would notice my mistakes. In Luke chapter five, Jesus miraculously helped Peter catch a boatload of fish, and Peter. Recognizing perhaps for the first time who Jesus was, what does he do? Luke says, "When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down in Jesus' knees, saying, 'Depart from me, from a sinful man, O Lord.'" When we approach something perfect and holy, we begin to recognize our sinfulness. A quick reading through the law of God should convince us this is too much for us to obey. And yet, for some reason, a murderer and adulterer like David still declares his love for God's law. Jesus says he comes to uphold the law, and yet sinners continue to flock to him. Why? Because God's law is given in the context of God's redeeming love. What we have from God is more than a set of rules and regulations. These endless, boring sections in Numbers, in Leviticus, and Deuteronomy are all embedded deeply in the narrative of God rescuing His people from slavery in Egypt. These laws were part of God's covenant with Israel, as it leads them into Promised Land. When David refers to God's law in the Psalms, he doesn't just refer to Him as an, some kind of abstract deity out there. He uses the he calls Him the Lord. And we know the Lord in all caps. It's God's personal name, Yahweh, the name He reveals to His people. He is a God who comes near to them and redeems them. And David recognized that we were never saved by ability to fulfill the law, but only by the redeeming love of God. That's why David does not end Psalm 19 with a boast of his ability to do the law. He ends with a prayer for mercy and protection. In this prayer, he gets even more personal with God. He addresses God as my rock, my redeemer. And he's not simply asking for protection from evil, but protection from himself. Who can discern their own errors, forgive my hidden faults? Who can understand the depths of our own sins? We need forgiveness not just for the big sins in our lives, but also the small sins. That's hidden, the secret sins that we are too afraid to touch. Paul, Apostle Paul writes in Romans seven, "For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I need help. Who can help me?" And then there's something even more scary. 
David recognized that in order for him to be acceptable before God, he has to be declared innocent and righteous. But if God is truly just and holy, he won't let sinner go unpunished. You know, as Tim Keller used to say, if God is not absolutely just and righteous, there is no hope. But if God is absolutely just and righteous, what hope is there for you? If God is not absolutely just and righteous, there is no hope. But if God is absolutely just and righteous, what hope is there for you? The hope is in Jesus. The powerful creator took on the form of the created, coming into creation in the form of hellless baby. The divine lawgiver came under the law to fulfill the law on our behalf, and he took on the punishment that we deserve. Therefore, the apostle Paul describes God as the just and justifier of sinners. Because in his death, Jesus fulfills the demands of justice for our punishment, and his blood justifies us by making us blameless and righteous before God. Now God upholds his holiness and righteousness to such an extent that his own son could not escape judgment. But his son took on the punishment so that we wouldn't have to. So my friends, worship God as the powerful creator. Love him as the holy lawgiver, but most importantly, Embrace him as your loving redeemer. If the power of God makes you stand in awe of him, if his holiness makes you tremble before him, then let his grace and mercy make you fall in love with him. If you are not sure how to do this, pray and ask his Holy Spirit to help you. Read through the Psalms and let them guide your prayers. And don't do this on your own. Do this in community. Do this together. And go out to join creation in the symphony of worship, in your work, in your service to your neighbors, in your pursuit of justice and mercy. Go reflect God's image in all the creations as He calls you to be and tell others about His power and holiness and love. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the creation you have given us, the sunshine that we see this morning and a beautiful day that we have and also the awe of the thunders and the storms. But we are also grateful for the laws that you have given us to guide us in how to live righteously and the justice that you promised to give us as we see so much wrongs in society. But let all these sink into our hearts, into our hearts, to know that we are also unrighteous, that we also deserve your punishment so that you will help us to embrace you as our Redeemer, to wash over us with your blood so that we know we need our saviors to cleanse us so that we can claim you as our rock and Redeemer. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.